Most days we set specific times for Ronnie will go to school, have piano lessons, or get picked up from a friend's house. But sometimes there is not a specific time set for something, and we are left waiting, wondering when the package will be delivered, when the plumber will arrive at the house, or when our ride is going to show up. We wonder if we've been forgotten. By the time Jesus was born, the Jewish people had been waiting for hundreds of years for God to send his promised Messiah. It had been more than 400 years since they had even heard God speak to them through one of his prophets about the Savior he would send. It seemed that God had stopped talking to them, and some people had grown weary of keeping up their hopes that God would come through for them. And yet the longing in them for the great Deliverer God had promised was deep. Though it is hard to wait on God, and, sometimes, and though it sometimes seems to, to us that God is slow, God's timing is always perfect. He is never late. He acts at just the right time. God knew when the time was right to send Jesus the Messiah into the world. He knew when the exact religious, cultural, and political conditions were in place. Paul wrote, 
When the time was right, God sent his son, born of a woman. Galatians 4, 4. You see, God is not making up plans as he goes. All the grand events of God's plan for our redemption have been scheduled in advance. From creation to the enslavement and, and exodus of God's people from Egypt, to David's taking the throne in Israel, to the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to the day when Jesus will return. The course and timing of history is not a mystery to God. The time in his hands, and he will bring about his plans and purposes in our world and in our lives, and in our lives right on time. Good morning. What a beautiful sunny morning it is this morning. Just thankful that we can come to a nice warm building and worship God this morning. If you open your bulletins up to the call to worship, we could read that together. It's from Psalm 150 verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Praise in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we all come from warm buildings and warm places to, to live. And I just thank you that we can come to this building this morning and worship you. Just pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to what... Uh, is to be said to us this morning just pray that we can take it all in pray for all the ones who couldn't make it this morning just pray that you'll be with them and give them a, a peace that only you can give to them in jesus name amen Reading from um, the NIV, I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 3. Peter heals a lame beggar. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gates, called Beautiful. They were put where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, <clears throat> but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. 
Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter speaks to the onlookers. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if our own power or godliness had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that murder be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It was Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completed, completely healed him as you see, as you all can see. Now, fellow, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his, his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will rise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways.
circumstances, all have different things in our minds and different responsibilities that we're uh, thinking about, but Lord, help us to forget all of that for the next half hour or so, and just to see what it is you're saying to us through your, through your word this morning. And uh, Lord, help me to speak it as it should be spoken, as you would have it spoken. This is your word, Lord, may we be faithful in how we speak it and interpret it. May I be. waiting on you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. You have all likely uh, known someone or met someone who after a while you find really annoying. <laughs> and the reason that for that annoyance is because they make everything about themselves. <laughs> it's, you know, those, it's all about me people. I know I personally find that quite annoying, but then I have to stop and think and maybe that's what other people think about me. <laughs> so maybe I'm one of those that's all about me people, so I kind of have to do a double take. But anyway, here's some quotes from these kinds of people, just so we can start this off with some humor. Uh, <laughs> I'm so awesome, I wish I had a friend like me. I'm so cool, even ice cubes are jealous. <laughs> the other side, I'm so hot, I contribute to global warming. <laughs> you can't be me, so don't even try. <laughs> of course I talk out loud. Sometimes I need expert advice. <laughs> I'm so clever that sometimes I don't understand a single word I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that one. <laughs> well, the truth is, friends, that it is not all about me. And it's not all about you. But there is someone who it is all about. We're continuing our series through the book of Acts this morning. We come today to that passage that was just read for us, Acts chapter 3. Thanks for reading, June. did a great job. Long chapter. For those of you who have been here for this series, you will notice a trend start to develop. As Jesus' chosen disciples, now called the apostles, as they explain things and preach to the crowds that they have opportunities to address. Just for a very quick review. Uh, chapter 2 records for us the coming of the Holy Spirit. Looked at that last week. Jesus had told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. They did that, and then on that day of that Jewish feast of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of Jesus' followers. He came and he had dwelt them all with the sound of the rushing wind and with what looked like tongues of fire resting on their heads, and they began to speak in languages that they had never actually learned. That was the beginning of a new era of God dealing with people on this earth. He will now be doing his work through the Holy Spirit as he indwells all who repent of their sin and choose to place their faith in Jesus Christ and follow him. This new era, often called the church age, it started right here. With the crowd at the temple amazed and bewildered at what they were seeing, we looked last week, Peter addressed them and explained to them what was happening. This was a fulfillment of the prophecy of the ancient prophet Joel, 
who had prophesied that in the end times, God would pour his spirit out on everyone. And then Peter went on to preach about Jesus, who many in that crowd took part in demanding his execution and was in fact the Messiah prophesied by the Old Testament. And he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and received from God the promise of the Holy Spirit and Jesus has now poured out this Holy Spirit on all his followers. And Peter went on to expound that if they would repent and be baptized and turn to follow Jesus, they would be forgiven. And they too would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And chapter 2 closes, or doesn't close, but it includes that information that about 3,000 people did that on that day, repented and gave their lives to Jesus. So today as we move on to chapter 3, we will see the account of a significant miracle that occurred. And the attention this miracle received, accompanied by lots of marveling and lots of questioning, and then following the miracle, another sermon by Peter to the crowd that had gathered in the excitement of this miracle. And we see in going through this chapter that once again, Peter and the apostles kept pointing people to Jesus. Because when it comes right down to it, it is all about Jesus. Hence the title of the sermon. It isn't about me. It isn't about you. It's all about Jesus. Seeing as this miracle was what precipitated this gathering crowd and then the sermon by Peter, let's look first at the miracle that happened as described in verses 1 through 11 of Acts chapter 3. And then we'll look at the teaching that came out of this miracle as preached by Peter in the rest of the chapter. So first of all, the miracle. You'll remember back in chapter 2, verse 43, that Luke is describing what it was like and what was going on in those first days and weeks following the coming of the Holy Spirit. All the people were all together. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer, and they were all together. They were sharing all things, having all things in common. Chapter 2 ends with a lot of information. And one of the things that says happened, verse 43, was that many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So what we see here in the first part of chapter 3 is an account of one of those signs and wonders that was happening through the apostles. So let's look at it. Peter and John on this occasion were going to the temple at the ninth hour, the morning, or ninth hour, the, the hour of prayer. So that would have been 3 o'clock in the afternoon. A lot of the new translations just say 3 o'clock. Uh, but some of the older translations say the ninth hour. So... Jewish day started at 6 in the morning, so the ninth hour would be 3 in the afternoon. There were regular hours of prayer going on at the temple in Jerusalem, and always was, and always has been. And this is one of them. Peter and John were going there for this time of prayer. And there was a certain man, a handicapped man, who was also being carried up to the temple at this time. This man had been lame from his mother's womb. So he had been born with some sort of defect in his legs or feet or whatever that made it impossible for him to walk. He had been born that way. He never had walked. He had to be carried to wherever he went. And the reason he was being carried to the temple was different from the reason that brought Peter and John to the temple. Uh, he was there to beg alms from the people who were going to the temple for this time of prayer. Uh, that was a good place for him to be, <laughs> for collecting alms. Uh, people were coming, a lot of people were coming in for prayer, and so they'd have to go right past them. 
Uh, and if the people were in the mindset of prayer, they would more than likely be in a mindset to give him some money. Because this crippled guy couldn't work. And verse 2 tells us this, is, this had been going on for some time. Every day, it says, he was carried to one of the gates of the temple, and particularly the one called Beautiful. Temple, where if you look at the layout of the temple, if you ever get a chance, there's lots of gates going into the temple courts in the temple area. So he was the one called Beautiful, and he would sit there, and he would ask for alms from the people coming into the temple for this prayer time. And he likely caught them as they went out as well. Uh, what's important to note here is that this happened every day, it says. The people there knew this guy. Those who were regular attenders at this prayer time had seen him there many times over the years. They knew him, they knew his condition, they knew his situation. They were very familiar with him. So when Peter and John, or when he saw Peter and John coming into the temple, he started asking them for alms. That word alms, in my translation, uh, at its root means mercy or pity. Uh, but it refers to the exhibition of mercy and pity in the form of giving some material donation to the one that you're showing pity or mercy to. So practically speaking, it means basically giving a donation, usually of money, to the poor and the needy. That's alms. That's what that means. Some of your newer translations, they just say give money. So that's what this lame man was doing. He's crippled from birth. He couldn't work. He sat at the temple gate and asked for alms or for a donation of money from the people who are passing by. Going on, verse 4 and following. It says that when the crippled man asked them for money, Peter, along with John, fixed their eyes upon him and said, look at us. And I have a hunch, it doesn't say this in the text, but I have a hunch that it's right then that Peter and John felt the urging of the Holy Spirit that he intended to heal this guy. So they fixed their eyes on this crippled man and they said, look at us. And the man then turned his full attention to Peter and John, expecting, of course, some money. And Peter went on, I don't have any money. Silver and gold, I don't have any. I don't have any money. But I do have something that I can give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And then Peter grabbed this guy's right hand and raised him up to his feet. And it says that when Peter did this, immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. <laughs> he must have felt a strength he had never known or felt start coursing through his legs and ankles and feet. And with a leap, he stood up on his feet and he began to walk. Now remember, this guy had never walked before. He'd been a little crippled from birth. You would think it would take a little time for him to learn how to walk. <laughs> but apparently he didn't have to learn. He could walk right away. So he continued into the temple with Peter and John. Apparently after walking a bit, he started leaping. This was great. He had never been able to do this before. Not only walk, but he could leap and jump. And I read that and I thought, you know, I'm just the other way around. I, <laughs> I used to be able to leap <laughs> and jump. In fact, there was a time in my youth when I was the high jump champ of my, <laughs> of my local school. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> so I used to be able to leap and jump. I can't anymore. This guy never left and jumped, but now he could. So just thrilled with what God had done for him, and he went into the temple with Peter and John, walking and leaping and praising God. 
God has done a great miracle in healing his body, and he's just beside himself with joy, leaping up and down, praising God for what God had done for him. Now, obviously, everybody in the temple courts noticed this. Here's this man, not acting dignified at all, walking and leaping and praising God. And I'm sure the praising wasn't done quietly. He's quite loud in his praise. So it was a bit of a commotion. And people began to look to see what's going on. They began to gather around for a better look. And as they did, they began to recognize this guy. This is that crippled man that sits at the beautiful gate every day, collecting alms. We've seen him there for years. He's been crippled from birth. He's never been able to walk. And here he is, walking and leaping and praising God. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what they were seeing. And he was still, in spite of his leaping, kind of clinging on to Peter and John. And by this time they had made their way to the part of the temple courts. This is still the outer courts around the temple building itself. Uh, but made their way to one of the part of the temple courts called the Portico of Solomon, Solomon or Solomon's Porch. Notice June's translation said Solomon's Colonnade. But that part of the temple court. And... There's a pretty good-sized crowd now running to see them. And they're full of amazement at what's going on. So, that's the miracle. And this miracle sets the stage for the sermon then, that Peter then preached. Verse 12 says that when Peter saw the crowd, staring with amazement, he addressed them and explained what was going on. And in so doing, he pointed them right back squarely to Jesus. So let's look at what Peter had to say. As Christians, we need to realize and act on the fact that it is all about Jesus. And a study of the teachings that come out of Acts chapter 3 will help us do that. So there's four things I want us to look at, four teachings. First teaching is Jesus did the miracle. Jesus did the miracle. Verse 12 and following. It says, Peter replied to the people, Why are you all amazed and marveling at this? And why are you looking at us? As if somehow we had the power and or the piety or godliness to heal this guy. It wasn't us who did the miracle. Going on there, just following the following verses. No, this is God glorifying his servant Jesus. Our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God all of us have been serving and worshiping all our lives. He has glorified his servant Jesus. Let's just stop there for a bit. God's servant, Jesus. That would have rung a bell with this crowd. Or with a lot of them who knew the Old Testament scriptures. The old prophet Isaiah had given many prophecies about the Messiah that was to come. <coughs> Isaiah called the coming Messiah God's servant. And he, here Peter tells this crowd that Jesus, the same Jesus that you delivered up and disowned in front of Pilate when Pilate was ready to release him, but instead you disowned Jesus, the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be released to you instead. And you put to death the Prince of Peace. But God raised him from the dead, and we're all witnesses of that fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. This Jesus is God's servant. And it's on basis of faith in his name that this miracle happened. It's the name of Jesus, Peter says. 
that has given strength to this man's legs and ankles and feet and made him able to walk and leap. It's the faith that comes through Jesus that has given this man this perfect health right in front of all of you. Jesus did the miracle. It wasn't Peter and John, it was Jesus. He performed the miracle because of faith that he is God's servant and he has risen from the dead. It's unclear from the passage whether Jesus healed because of Peter and John's faith in him or because of the crippled man's faith, maybe a combination. But Peter makes it very clear that it was Jesus who did the miracle. That is very clear here. Let's go on. Second teaching. Jesus is the Messiah. We've already just kind of seen it. That was the focus of the sermon in chapter 2. It's a focus again here in this sermon. Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 13, God has glorified his servant Jesus. As I said, that was an obvious messianic reference, which I'm sure would have been caught by the Jews listening here if they knew their Bible. The prophet Isaiah many times refers to the Messiah, the coming of Messiah, as God's servant, especially in the latter part of Isaiah, chapters 42 to 53, often there refers to God's servant when he's talking about the Messiah. God had glorified Jesus in raising him from the dead, in Jesus ascending to heaven, and now he's glorified Jesus in Jesus healing this man. Jesus is God's servant, the Messiah. Verse 17 and following. Peter acknowledges that the people of this crowd in denouncing Jesus, that they had acted in ignorance. He acknowledges that. As did the Jewish leaders. They didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. Or they didn't believe it. That's likely the better reason. They didn't believe it. I think the signs were there if they would open their eyes to see it, but they didn't. So they didn't recognize or know or believe Jesus was the Messiah. So they acted in ignorance. But, Peter goes on to say, it fits with the prophecies of the Old Testament. They predicted that the Messiah would suffer. And those prophecies that Messiah would suffer were have been fulfilled by Jesus, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's jump ahead to verse 22. Verse 22. Moses had told the people way back in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, that the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. That was a prophet they'd all been waiting for. Moses had said that God would raise up a prophet like me. That's what they've been waiting for for so long, the Messiah. The Jews always understood that. That this prophet that Moses was talking about there would be the Messiah. And Peter is implying here that Jesus is that prophet like Moses. That Jesus is the Messiah. And if anyone doesn't listen to him, verse 23... If anyone doesn't listen to him, they would be utterly destroyed from among their people. Going on, verse 24 to 26. Peter went on to explain that all the prophets from Samuel on announced those days when Messiah would come. In fact, look at verse 25. Um, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So they, the Jews, the sons of the prophets, 
They're the sons of the prophets in the sense of being heirs of the promises made by the prophets. Likewise, they're also sons of the covenant for the same reason. And then Peter refers to that covenant God made with Abraham. In your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What Peter is saying is that this seed of Abraham talked about there in that covenant, that seed is Jesus. It is through Jesus that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Peter concludes by saying to this crowd here, that it's them, you people, who are seeing all of this fulfilled right in front of you. God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you. How? End of verse 26. By turning every one of you from your wicked ways. By first turning every one of you from your wicked ways. You see, the, the Jews believed wrongly. That Messiah, when he came, would first become their king and sit on the throne of David and then rescue Israel from their national enemies and make them the world power and rule the world from Jerusalem. That was their understanding of Messiah. But Peter says here that God raised up his servant, the Messiah, and sent him to bless them by first turning them from their wicked ways. Messiah's first job was to bring salvation from the penalty of sin and to turn people away from sin and toward him. But make no mistake, Peter is implying here, Jesus is the Messiah. As can be seen from how he fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Number three, third teaching. Jesus is coming back. Let's go back to those verses we skipped over, verses 19 through 21. So Ferguson focus on the first part of verse 19 which is about repenting in the last point but Peter is telling the crowd here verses 19 through 21 that they need to repent in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and verse 20 that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you so this is speaking about Jesus coming back to the earth Verse 22, heaven must receive Jesus for a period of time. In fact, heaven did receive Jesus when he ascended there, as recorded in Acts chapter 1. And he will be there in heaven until the period of restoration of all things takes place. So it's difficult to say precisely what Peter is meaning here, but it is clear that repentance opens the door to times of refreshing from God. Repentance opens the door to times of refreshing from God. Whether that time of refreshing means simply the forgiveness of sins and being made pure and holy before God, or does it mean that future time when Jesus returns, or both? Either way, it's repentance that gets you in to experience that time of refreshing. And verse 21 talks about that time of restoration, when all things that God has spoken about coming, coming to be. Jesus will be in heaven until that time. When he returns, he will restore all things to what they should be. We know from other passages of scripture that before he returns, the gospel must be preached to, all the, to the whole world. The gospel message, the people's acceptance of it, 
is ultimately what brings this restoration of all things. So the point Peter is making to this crowd is that Jesus is coming back. He, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, he's coming back. And that is associated with times of refreshing and the restoration of all things. And repentance is the key to making sure that they are personally a part of it. Jesus is coming back. That's what we need to hear and understand. So, fourthly and finally, because it's all about Jesus, we need to repent. That's basically Peter's point here. Because it's all about Jesus, we need to repent. What we've seen so far is that Peter preached that it is all about Jesus. He did the miracle. He is the Messiah. He is coming back. It's all about him. And because it's all about him, verse 19, Peter says, Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be taken away. Repent. Turn around. We looked at that last week, what that word repent means. We've looked at it many times over the years. Change your belief and your attitude toward Jesus, Peter is telling the people of this crowd. You rejected Jesus, but now turn around and return to him. Accept him as the Messiah God promised and now sent. Place your faith in him. Receive the forgiveness he's offered. It's all about Jesus. He's the one we have to deal with both now and in eternity. He's the one God sent to deal with our sin problem. And to turn us away from our sin. He's the one through whom we can have salvation from the penalty of our sin and have eternal life. It's all about Jesus. So, repent. That's the message here. Repent. Because it's all about Jesus, repent. And friends, that's just as true for us today as it is and was for that crowd Peter was preaching to here in Acts chapter 3. I trust all of us have done that. But I don't know your true hearts. Only you and God know your true hearts. So I ask you, have you repented? Have you recognized your sinful condition and repented of that and turned toward Jesus? Asked him for forgiveness. Have you placed your faith in him as your savior and invited him in your heart to be your Lord? Have you made the choice to do that? Because it is all about Jesus, that is what we all need to do. So if you've never done that, please, please do so today. So therefore we see from this passage the teachings that makes us realize that it is all about Jesus. And that we need to act on that fact that it's all about Jesus. The teachings are, number one, Jesus did the miracle. Number two, Jesus is the Messiah. Number three, Jesus is coming back. It's all about Jesus. And number four, because it's all about Jesus, we need to repent. If you never have repented and asked Jesus for forgiveness and invite him into your heart, I encourage you to do that. We're going to have a time of silence here in a minute or two. So during that time of silence, I encourage you just to do that in that moment in your own heart. For those of us who have, who have done that, what, what's here for us? I was thinking about that, and I was struck with how Peter used this miracle and the resulting attention of the crowd 
to turn the attention of the people to Jesus and the gospel. And I thought, that's a good example for me and for us as Christians. Can we take what is presented to us and use it as a launching pad to point people to Jesus? Particularly these times of uncertainty that we are living in. And the divisions in our society that we are that are developing. Is there an opportunity here to use that to point people to Jesus? To share the gospel with them? I'm sure that there is. Jesus is coming back. We need to be ready. The only way to be ready is to repent and accept Jesus. So for us as Christians, I'll just throw that out there for us to consider. Is there a way to use what's going on around us to point people to Jesus and the fact that we need to be ready for his return? Let's take our time of silence. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, repented and placed your faith in him, I encourage you, during the time of silence, just do that in your own heart. For those of us who have, let's use this time of song just to think, what, God, what are you telling me here? What are you, what are you saying to me? Where do I go from here? What, how do I take this and use it? I'll just give you a time of silence to allow God to speak to your own heart. Music team, please. Let's stand and sing together.
Chris and I got to have a fabulous conversation with Heather and Jerrica after music lessons this week, and it had to do with that song. So it's partly the reason why I picked that one, but it's also a great song, although it's high. I'll give you that. <laughs> Thank you for your singing. <laughs> <laughs>